0: Thursday is it? It's Friday. Um, why is it Friday, Craig? Because I've been busy. No, not because of that other podcast. Uh, I've been filming and it's just been difficult pinning down guests. Um, uh, how are you? Are you well? Are you okay? Hey, guess what? I got a text this morning. Dear Mr. Parkinson, we would like to invite you for your first vaccine jab. Yes, please. So um, tomorrow, Saturday morning, I'll get my first jab. I'm not going to post a photo. It's fine. I'm pleased that everybody's getting the jab, but no, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, I was really, really thrilled by that. Um, And also, myself and Griff are in very uh, immediate talks about getting out on the road. Not in a live capacity, of course, that's not going to happen, but about meeting up myself and him and a guest and recording live in person, the three of us, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. And if I'm right, I think that's going to be happening within the next three weeks. And hopefully you'll hear a difference. You'll hear, and I I hope you haven't heard too much of a difference with it remotely, but um, it's going to mean the world to myself and producer Griff to be uh, to be back uh, right in front and seeing the eyes of people and uh, offering them a cup of tea at a distance, of course. Um, so this week it's it's uh, it's an incredible conversation. Of course, it is. Um, but you know how during lockdown people have been saying, "Oh, I've been." I've been tinkering, I've been writing this, I've been learning this, I've been, I got in touch with a friend of mine, in touch, I'm constantly in touch with her, Um, but she squirrelled away uh, and wrote a play. She wrote a play and it's been produced and performed and it's on and it's a deeply, deeply personal journey and she basically, uh, it's Jilly Campbell. It's my friend Jilly Campbell. And she trained as an actor and then decided that this wasn't the path that she wanted to go down. And for years and years and years, she did something else. And then all of a sudden, she decided that she was going to write a play. And it's about that journey. So it's, a, it's about a creative journey and about where she was and where she is now. And I think it's a really important discussion. And plus, she's a fucking great laugh and one of my bestest friends in the world. And I'm not just plugging her. I think you're going to really, really enjoy this. So uh, let's get to it. This is the Two Shot Podcast with the magnificent Jilly Campbell. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Oh, Jilly Campbell, how are you?
1: I'm good, Craig. How are you?
0: Well, I am good. Because I was filming this morning and I was out in Newcastle and I was at this farm and I got a text through and it said, uh, Mr. Parkinson, we'd like to invite you for your jab, your first jab. So I booked that fucker and that's on Saturday. And then 30 seconds later, I got an email uh, from a solicitor with a massive bill. So it's like, you know, swings and roundabouts. Ooh, okay, I was like <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But you get in your jam, uh, that's good. I know. I'm really, really thrilled. Um but how are you? I'm good. I'm just um
1: kind of coming down off a big high. Um,
0: and I want to talk about this big high. Mm-hmm. But and usually I don't you know what it's like with these conversations with this podcast. I don't want to structure it too much. But I think it's really important because of where we're going to go with this conversation, with where you are at now artistically and where you've been creatively. Mm -hmm. So we're in Northern Ireland now, and that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. But it started off somewhere else, and I think it's really important that we go right back.
1: Right back to the beginning.
0: So let's go back to the beginning because we're not in Belfast at the beginning, are we? No, we're
1: not.
0: So where are we, Jilly? Well,
1: me and you are in.
0: Oh no, oh, I'm talking me? about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about you. Oh, right?
1: Okay. Yeah. Are we going back like to the very, very, very beginning,
0: or? And we can go back to wherever you want, but I want to talk about you know where you're at and where you've written a play, Jilly. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush. Okay. And, you, you know, three years ago, you would never have said, I'm a playwright. Never. But now...
1: I still find... I think I'd still find it hard to say I'm a playwright.
0: Well, you know, uh, The Guardian especially would speak very differently about that, <laughs> considering it got four stars in The Guardian last week. Um, And it's funny because... Throughout all the years of having these conversations especially with actors there's only been one other who trained as an actor or certainly learned on the job as an actor and then decided to stop and and retrain and do something else so that's kind of where that's kind of where I want to go and that's kind of what I mean okay. about where we are right now Okay in your creative life. Yeah, well, I mean because there's there's links to your past which are connected to where we are now in, in in the current day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny if you'd asked me what what would make me become creative again after years of kind of dormancy of not being creative. I mean, okay, I work I work in the art sector, but I work as a funder as an administrator, you know, somebody who spends most of the time behind a desk and a, and a keyboard. Um, so if you'd said to me, okay, you're going to, you know, you're going to become creative again, what will it be? I, I wouldn't have thought it would have been uh, a play kind of based on my childhood um, and uh, based on finding out who my father was. But in a way, I suppose it's, it's kind of apt that my story something within me has been the catalyst to help me be creative again. You know, when we went to drama school together, you know, donkeys ago, mm. I started off as an actor. Um, to be honest with you, Craig, I didn't have... I think I wasn't but I wasn't bad, but I didn't have the balls to carry on. I didn't have the...
0: I mean, I'm not... I need to stop you there. And I'm not blowing smoke at all because I don't do that. And any listener to this podcast knows that I will not do that. You were I look you were a year above me at drama school, and I looked up to you. You were a fantastic actor in, and also an incredible singer. You had huge amounts of talent, and that's not the first time I've said that. Of no. course I'm saying it over a, a public forum this time. but
1: I know but I don't think I had the like most people coming out of drama school, you know, suddenly you're out in the big kind of world and trying to find your feet and get an agent and all of that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. and I I think I found that really hard I found the kind of instability of the life really hard and I don't know if it's because I didn't necessarily have a great deal of stability while I was growing up but I kind of felt I I couldn't live this life of not really knowing where my next paycheck was going to be and like i think, in a way I I didn't have I didn't have what it what it takes to to keep on going so I left it. Do you
0: mean do you mean that sort of nomadic lifestyle that is, you know, putting your your, you know, your foot out into this world and going, well, it's not 9 to 5.
1: Yeah. I think I needed you know, like deep down, I mean, I, I know you've seen me when I'm drunk, but deep down I'm quite boring craig, you know, I don't <laughs>
0: kind of like things
1: I kind of like things kind of quite straight quite you know I I like my nine to five I like knowing what what, god this sounds so boring but I do like to structure my life I I I like kind of order in my life but I do think a lot of that is a craving for stability and being a jobbing actor for me wasn't going to give me the stability that I think I needed and um and that's why you know I'm in complete awe of my actor friends because I just think do you know what you you carried on going, you had the passion to carry on going and i didn't i I obviously didn't have the passion enough to keep on going and it and it is it's kind of it's it does sad it does sadden me sometimes, but at the same time, I kind of think, well, do you know what this is this is the kind of path I've chosen, and you know it's it's not been bad, but finally. I have had an opportunity to um I suppose to reconnect with the creative I don't know what it's called spark inside of me and um and it feels brilliant.
0: But when did this start, Jelly? Because having the certain the the desire when you were training to be an actor for those three years, you were there and that's the path that you wanted to go on. And then how long was it since graduation that you decided to sort of basically knock it on the head and just say, yeah, this, this kind of isn't the path I want to go down or certainly this business isn't letting me in. Because there's a lot of people that go, well, I try and try and I try and knock down the doors and I just keep getting battered back. And I hear it all the time from, and not just younger actors or or, or recent graduates, actors of all Mm -hmm. ages come to me all the time. And sometimes you just have to know when to stop when it's unhealthy for you as like a human being.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when did you, because loads of people, when I say this to, to actors when I interview them uh, quite a bit, do you ever, have you ever seriously considered stopping? And they've gone out flirted with the idea. But I always come back to it because it, it, it kind of, it drags me back in. But with you, it didn't. Mm-hmm. So when, was, when did you make that decision to go, no, enough is enough and I have to turn left where maybe I feel like I should be turning right, but no, 90% of me is turning left. Mm. It wasn't that long. It
1: was about three years
0: I know. Yeah, I, well, I know. Yeah, I, it was
1: about I, three. I know, that. I know. You know, it <laughs> was about it was about three years. And and do you know when I look back at it the way i the way I look back, I suppose I look back at it as a relationship. And it's kind of one of those memories where, if you imagine being in a relationship with somebody that you kind of just knew it had to end, you loved it, you you were in love with that that relationship, that person. But it had to end. And for me, I loved acting. I absolutely loved it. Like, it made me feel so great. I got so excited. I loved the yeah. whole buzz of it. I loved working with a company, working with, you know, cast and crew, everything that went with it. But I just knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I just had to end it. So it was, three, it was after three years. And now I, I do, I look back at it as, as a kind of an early relationship with somebody. Um, that there was love in it, but it was never going to work.
0: But such a painful decision. As I mean, I love the fact that you're using the terminology of a relationship because that's so right, because it is, it is a relationship. Um, and I sometimes think acting is a very one-sided relationship and it just takes and takes and takes from mm-hmm. us and very rarely... Uh, you know, delivers and the returns can be quite small. But what a painful decision to make because the balance there is that you move to London, you train for three years, and then you went out in the quote-unquote big wide world and did equal time and then went, no, enough is enough. So what was... The path, where did you think you were going to go? Because it's a scary thing. It's a scary... Do you know what? I think it's a scary thing to throw yourself in full stop and go, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to train and do this. Yeah. But then to stop it all after, you know, a six-year period. I don't
1: know. I just... It was scary. And I do kind of look back at it with a kind of a, a mournful... View, but at the same time, and I don't know what I was going to do. I had no idea what I would do. There wasn't like, oh, okay, I've got a career path sorted. I spent the next kind of few years temping, doing different types of jobs, working in bars. Um, I did a bit of travelling. I didn't really have um a kind of a, a, a great idea of of what my career path was going to be. I did a bit of teaching drama, um, but I have to say. I didn't leave it and go straight into something else. I did have this kind of period of, of uncertainty, but that felt, in a way, even more secure and stable than acting had felt.
0: Did you feel that you had to sort of dip your toe in different waters to see what was going to sort of entice you back into certain something? Because you didn't know what you were going to do. You had no...
1: I think there was an element of that. I mean, I remember you know, doing different jobs. I was working in a bookshop and, like, they offered me, they said, oh, you know, would you like a, a permanent job? We'd like, you know, to give you a permanent job. And at the time I thought, could that be really good, you know, working in a bookshop, you know, on a permanent basis, having a, a proper job, regular income. And I, but I thought, no, it, it's not really what I want. I tended to be really good also at doing jobs like, you know, working in a bar or waitressing. When I look back at it, I think, Do you know, what? I I actually was quite good as a waiter, you know, there was, I, I, I just sort of tried different jobs out, but I wasn't really, I had no career focus. I didn't know what my career was going to be.
0: Was that that you weren't, even though by your own admission you love stability now, was that something that you craved for then or something that you just didn't know about that you wanted stability?
1: I think it was a mixture of both. I think I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I desperately needed stability. I really wanted... I wanted to be stable in a job and love it as much as I possibly could.
0: Because you were still quite young yeah. at this point.
1: Yeah, I was. I
0: mean, yeah, Shut up. I mean, you're young now. What we're talking I'm about, about is like... I know. It's like then... Yeah. It's like you're, 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 you're... Let's talk about where you okay. are. You're in your 20s. <laughs> you're still in... You're in your, you're in your 20s I Was I was
1: then. in my 20s then and um i got to a point where i you know what i just didn't know what i was going to do and um as i said i've been doing a bit of teaching kind of keeping my hand in so to speak in the sector but not in a real kind of particularly meaningful way and um i felt then i, I found out that there was this job going in um belfast and i have family in belfast and i just said to my, I said to my aunt, look, do you mind if I come over? Can I stay with you for a bit uh, applying for this job? And I came over to Belfast, applied for the job and it was the drama officer at the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and um, I applied for it and I got the job. And that was, that was 19 years ago.
0: Is it that long? Oh my God.
1: I know. That was 19 years ago. Now I've I've changed roles since then, but I've stayed in a kind of, you know, a, a relatively safe job. You know, it's kind of uh, aligned to the civil service. So you've got your pension, you've got this is it. I'm actually really boring. You know, I just things like <laughs> pensions are really important to me. You know, I, I, I like, you know, I, I, I kind of think. Like a lot of people, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a kind of class thing too, but I know a lot of people, like in my family, you know, you got a trade and you stay in it for a long time. A lot of my yeah. family were, were all nurses and, you know, they stayed as a nurse, You know, they trained as a nurse, they stayed as, as a nurse and they retired as a nurse. And I think there is part of me that sees, you know, a job in an organisation like the Arts Council as that kind of stability, you know, don't be taking risks. Um, but then I've just gone and taken a bit of a risk in in recent... Uh, recently,
0: yeah. But, of course, I mean, the arts should be constantly taking Absolutely. risks. And that's what you support. Just dipping back, there's a minute before, when you made that decision to turn left and say, no, I'm not going to pursue the, the the road of acting... Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was immediate, but did you feel happier, like as a, as Jelly as a human being, as, of making? Was there was some sort of relief yeah. that you went, yeah? It
1: was. It was. I'm. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel that I've maybe I should have. I mean, as I said, I mourned it, but I didn't get. You know, I, I I didn't cry about it. I didn't feel like I'd given up everything. I didn't feel like I'd given up the only thing that ever made me happy. I just thought, you know, something else will make me happy. I'll find something else that makes me happy.
0: Well, of course, I mean, it's just like you said, like a relationship. When you know that a relationship has to end and you mourn it, but you know it's the right thing to do. And it might not make you happy. The immediacy of happiness might not come, but you know it's in the post Mm -hmm. and it's going to come. And you kind of have to... Trust your gut with that. And I think it's a very, very brave thing to do. Cause I remember talking when I start when we started this conversation before in the first year of this podcast, um, I spoke to uh we didn't give his name because he didn't want to give his name, but he was uh an actor who trained on the job mm-hmm. um and had fantastic success. Uh, but then it got to the point where it was making him really unhappy mm-hmm. as a person and he just went, I just can't do yeah. this. And he'd fallen in love and he'd had a child and he went, No, this is what's making me happy mm-hmm. is the uh yeah, I suppose not normality mm-hmm. because what you know, I don't know what is normal, mm-hmm. but he just went, I can't balance this. Precariousness of uh, this artistic life with what really makes me happy. So he just retrained and just went right. I'm going to do something else. And it was all about people. He found that his fascination and his deep, deep um, love and his want for knowledge was about people. So he retrained as a psychotherapist. You know, which is a you know. you know, I think anybody that turns their back on something that they trained to do is not only brave, but you know they're already gaining knowledge because they're going. No, I have to trust my instincts here, mm. and that's what. And obviously, that's what you did.
1: But I also use I use my training every day. You know, I use Look. what I did at drama school every day. The, the acting, you know, mm. in in meetings, in presentations, in you know, talking to to. Big audiences, um, you know, negotiating, you know, all sorts of different um, kind of platforms and opportunities. I have to say, my acting has always been used. You know, it's uh, it's not something you just. It's a skill. It's like any skill. If you've if you've learned it, and you know, you've you've worked at it, and you've developed mm. some techniques, it's it's something you, you will always carry with you. And I think, you know, what you said there about that fellow is interesting because I do remember, for me, making a very conscious decision that if I wasn't going to be able to do something that I loved kind of all the time, then I didn't think I'd be able to cope with doing it. And I think that was the kind of crux about why I stopped doing it. And there was also things like, you know... Oh God, I hope things have changed a bit now, but, you know, I remember... The agent I had which was you know a good reputable agent but simple things like you know I remember once going in to see into the office and uh they hadn't seen me kind of in physical form for I don't know maybe two months and I got this uh you know you, you're putting on weight you know you need to need to lose weight
0: oh. and
1: you know that was I just thought God, if I have put on weight, i have maybe put on a few pounds, but there was nothing, you know, major. Um, And I just thought, I don't think I can live like this. I don't think I can live, you know, constantly worrying about, you know, my weight and my appearance. And I know, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, uh, kind of grooming in the acting industry. You know, you, you kind of got to be fit, you've got to be healthy and all those things. But I just thought no I can't have this kind of pressure of needing to be a certain size and I, fa- I found that hard to deal with.
0: No, I mean I mean we're going back what? I mean how many years? 20 years? 20,
1: 20 odd years ago,
0: yeah. 20 years ago. Um no I still I still hear that comments like that are made. Mm. Um through much less supportive agencies. And I do fear for um, for graduates mm-hmm. now. I mean, I was very upset last year with people graduating via Zoom and things mm-hmm. like that. It's very, very difficult, especially when they've spent their three years training and now they're coming out and they're doing a showcase over Zoom. I've said it before. I mean, mm-hmm. my kind of heart breaks. Um, and also financially, fa- fa- And also financially, it's like, we all know that it's a real bind because um, you know there's no grants anymore. No. I think we we were the we last, were the last, absolutely to to, to to get grants. Certainly, I was yeah. I was definitely the last. Um, but, Julie, just to put into context, what you moved over to Belfast to do? Mm-hmm. Could you just put it in layman's terms for me? Because I've known you for yeah. years, and I and I basically just think that you give money out to theatre companies but that's not what it is is it really?
1: Well I suppose some of it is um, so yeah in my um <clears throat> I still work for the Arts Council I, I work in um community arts and education now but at the time for a good 17 years I, I worked as the drama and dance officer and that meant essentially giving out or making recommendations for funding <clears throat> so dispersing funds but also developing a sector and kind of developing policy and strategy to develop the theatre and dance sectors in Northern Ireland. Um, So working quite closely with theatre companies, um, dance companies, writers, um, choreographers. So, you know, certainly when I was doing that role, I was probably out at the theatre, God, sometimes, you know, three or four nights a week, you know, seeing planes. Yeah, well,
0: you, you, you never return my phone calls, <laughs> so that means why well, you're always out at the theatre.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a Oh, it's...
0: yes, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have another glass of free <laughs> wine, thank you. I won't return Craig's phone calls.
1: <laughs> no, I know. You know, it's been strange this year, suddenly, you know, not going to um, the theatre as much and not going out to see stuff, but now seeing stuff, you know, online or digitally or mm. the new kind of hybrid. But, yeah, my, my job essentially was about kind of dispersing public funds um, and also trying to help develop the sector um, here in Northern Ireland.
0: And, you know, you were talking before about the fact that, and I and I absolutely agree with you, that your skills that you learnt and, and trained as an actor never leave you because mm-hmm. they're there, they're your sort of core. Are you using that in your position now to spot new talent and also people that are maybe trying to fake it a little bit can you just sort of can you weed that out
1: yeah you know i don't think you get many people faking it i think everybody you know anybody who is putting it out there is 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 wanting to do well um
0: I, look, okay okay all right yeah i know <laughs> right i know everybody wants to do well yeah but let's be honest there's a lot of shit
1: <laughs> you said that i didn't um, <laughs> I did say that. I put it out
0: there. Look. No, I know uh, I there know is, uh, there is a lot of shit. Yeah, but full I su- stop.
1: I suppose my job is to try and address if there is shit, address it and try and help find kind of pathways to improve upon any shit. But to be honest with you, do you know, like I'm now at the stage where you know you've got younger, or not even necessarily younger, but emerging artists coming through with new ideas, new ways of working, which I have no idea about. You know, I don't know what they're doing or, you know, what kind of technical equipment they're using, but it's great work and I'm learning stuff from them. It's, it's brilliant. But yeah, a lot of my time, maybe not so much in this role, but would have been about um, kind of, you know, supporting individual artists, writers, actors... Um, directors and trying to help them with their kind of career progression and, and develop their skills and develop their career and do you know what uh, if you were to ask me what's the what's the part of my job I love the most I have to say it's working with emerging artists you know people coming out of training or deciding to start you know a career in the arts um, at what, any age and sitting down and working with them and um, trying to help their career. I, I, I love it. I absolutely love that feeling. And then when they produce a piece of art and it's, it's brilliant, like there's just no better feeling. You know, you feel so proud.
0: But of course, because nurturing new talent with people like yourself that dig deep and really support them and believe in them and go, no, no, we've said enough of this we've seen enough of this type of theater or enough of this type of art or enough of this type of person we need to put this this on a pedestal and make people sit up and watch and it's i think now more than ever certainly after the year that we've had and i don't talk about it that much but it's like the arts need support mm-hmm. So, so much. They really do. Especially with theatre going online. And I know that it's a wildly different experience. And I've seen... I'm going to watch another play this week written by one of my best friends, which we'll get onto in a minute. But I, during, I think it was lockdown one... I, we watched, myself and my son watch some stuff from the National Theatre, which was brilliant. And I don't know if it's still on, but Treasure Island mm. was joyous and it really worked on screen. And some stuff from Bristol Old Vic, which was incredible. Um, and, and then, did you see Uncle Vanya? No, I heard all about televised? it. And I heard all the raving
1: that went on about it.
0: So they shot it in a completely different way. Um, I don't know if it's... I haven't yet seen the Romeo and Juliet that was on Sky Arts last week, um, which I feel was kind of more like a movie and it was condensed. I think it was like 90 minutes. Um, But the Uncle Vanya that was shot in the theatre during lockdown one um, was shot in the theatre but kind of like a movie. Mm -hmm. So they were just... They were finding new ways to to access the language of the play and make it m- more accessible for an at-home audience and the the way that they rethought it was was incredible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely incredible so it's it's for I always say that you know when we're on set or we're in a rehearsal space it's about finding answers to the challenging questions because mm-hmm. we don't know especially when you're on a film set, because you don't have time to rehearse. So you're thrust together and you go, right, okay, well, I had this idea in my head of how it's going to be, but you think this, oh, right, so how are we going to get together and get on the right path? So it's just about finding answers to questions. Mm -hmm. So it's questions um, that need to be solved very quickly. And I think that's what the arts are doing now during this past year. They're going, right, OK, we have to rethink. Let's all rethink what we're doing and carry on giving the arts to the people that need it so, therefore, they can support us.
1: Yeah. You, you know, you don't have a more flexible, um, adept uh, industry than the arts. The arts sector is always responding, reacting and moving and shifting um, you know, there's one of, the, one of the terms that I've heard, you know, banded about is pivoting. And I think that's what the art sector has done is it has pivoted. It has changed ways of accessing or providing access to the arts. And I have to say, even though, you know, I know we all miss live theatres, we, we miss everything about that, that communion of going into the theatre. There have been some really important um, positives out of theatre happening online and for me it's about seeing there being more accessibility for people particularly older people disabled people who might not have easily gone to the theatre or been able to access the theatre now they've had it in their rooms you know they've had it beamed into their living rooms and I don't think we should forget that audience I don't think we should forget when you know hopefully things do go back to a a new normal and you know we go back into theatres I think it's really important that we still provide um, a more accessible form of theatre. And if that's via, you know, via Zoom, online, you know, however it's presented, I think we should still do that because I, I know that there are people out there who have probably seen more theatre this in this last year than they've seen, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. And it's purely because it's gone online.
0: And also for the price of, what, a couple of pints? Absolutely,
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, which is one thing that I've always sort of flown the flag about, certainly for younger students uh, and young people who I feel need to get into theatre more, and I'm just focusing on them for a minute, who don't have a lot of money, especially in London, where you know the prices are astronomical mm-hmm. and they need to go and sit and be inspired and learn, especially if it's something that, they want to go if it's a path they want to go down they need to go and see these great actors mm-hmm. or these new emerging talents on stage but to ask you know certainly you know drama students to pay i remember and i've said this before on the podcast i remember when i saved up like 27 pound to go to the donmar warehouse and it was the most money i've ever paid mm-hmm. i mean i Paid more, but at that time, mm-hmm. um, to go and to go to Doma and it was like I paid twenty seven pounds. That was like, you know, what it was like when we were students. Mm-hmm. It was like that was like a lot of money. I remember when. Do you remember when I was? This is. I'm going off off pace now. Do you remember when I worked in Pizza Hut? I was
1: about to say, like you basically fed me for at least a year. I think when you worked <sighs> in Pizza Hut.
0: So I. For the listeners, I worked in Pizza Hut in Wood Green, and which is North London, and myself and Jilly lived on adjacent streets, mm-hmm. didn't we? Yeah. So I would, towards the end of the night, and I'm not advocating this at all to any <laughs> student <laughs> waiters, um, I would mess up orders towards the end of the night and they would never throw those pizzas away. They would keep them warm on top of the pizza oven. And then instead of throwing them away, I would say, I'll just take them. I'll just take them home. And then I would go round to your house because uh-huh. you, had, you had another two people living yeah. with you. I had two people living with me. And then I would just feed both houses.
1: It
0: but it did, it did come to a head where I started to get a little bit cocky. Um, this was towards the end of my Pizza Hut term, where on a Saturday afternoon, I would say to people to, to come in the restaurant and, and then I would mess up their orders. <laughs> on, on, I was very bold. I started to get very cocky. <laughs> mess up their orders while they're in the restaurant and then try and sort of fudge it and make them pay like, you know, £2.50 for like massive pizzas. Um, and then my manager did... He, he he caught me it out caught eventually.
1: Him. Well, I do remember that. I remember being fed by you, and yeah, exactly. You're right. I mean, student student days. It was, you know, well back then. I think I probably smoked like a trooper. It was a packet of fags, or, or eat something to eat. You had to pick what you were you were going to spend your money on. But even now, like for,
0: for, for you, it was mainly it fags. Was mainly, let's I be honest, it was
1: mainly fags. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm a reformed smoker now. But even people, you know, like, just, you know, I know students will struggle to buy tickets, but just ordinary people who even have, like, you know, a full-time job will struggle to to buy uh, and pay for some tickets, you know, to go to the system. So I think...
0: Absolutely. You know, it
1: is so important to try and and look at kind of access of opportunity and looking to try and make um, just platforms and avenues of of people to be able to see work that isn't going to cost an arm and a leg.
0: And also to support new work. And now when we're going back, when the doors of theatres are opening, it's not going to be full capacity. Mm. So therefore, how can they justify reducing prices to entice people back in because that's just the balance, that can't balance the no. box at all. So that's another, I mean, I'm I'm projecting a worry there, I must admit.
1: Well, I, well um, I, would, I would suggest that the government maybe need to start investing more money in the arts to counteract that potential um, box office reduction that the government need to put more in to try and um, make that balance. Because at the moment, I think organisations are going to be coming out of a, a really, really tough you know, but organizations weren't funded properly to begin with, you know, arts organizations, add in COVID, yep. add in Brexit. Um, you've got a big, big mess there. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to be time for, well, I, you know, I can talk about our local assembly here in Northern Ireland, but also, you know, the other jurisdictions um, and governments need to start putting more money into the arts, just simple as.
0: And do you think they will? I mean, it's, I mean, it's not as simple for you to answer mm. that, but well, what are the steps that need to happen?
1: You know, I don't have the, the stats to kind of roll off here, but we, we know that, you know, the creative industries are massive income generators. They're massive finance generators um, for the UK, and it's no different here, here in Northern Ireland. And you know, if we don't invest in them, if we don't put money into the arts, well, you're not going to have you're not going to have people, you know, writing books, uh, creating films that you want to see on Netflix or on the, you know, at the cinema. You're not going to have um, those big beautiful buildings we have out in the streets aren't going to be full of artists and audiences. Uh, it's just they they will have to put their money up. They will have to start putting more money in because otherwise. The sector can't survive and it will go, you know, it will it will simply go and people will start looking at other industries. And I think you know, there is one thing any civilized society should have really good, high quality access to um, arts for everybody that should be affordable. And I think those are just really simple, basic things that we should have. And, you know, what have people sustained themselves on in lockdown? They've sustained themselves by reading books, watching film, watching theatre online, music. Those are the things we need. We need, yeah. we need really good deliveries from Sainsbury's and Tesco's. We need, you know, all those, we need the fantastic NHS. We need, you know, we need all those really important um, public sector um, workers and we also need the things that sustain us emotionally, spiritually, you know, that get us through, and that's the arts.
0: Content, content, content. Yeah. And it's and it's coming, and that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of content and speaking of you, and we've touched on where you're at and where your journey's sort of been, and you kept this from me, <laughs> and I didn't know for a long time. How did you decide to pour your heart out into a play? And was it actually intended to be a play? I don't want to talk Mm -hmm. about the journey Mm -hmm. of this because having spoken about, right, I'm not going to carry on doing what I trained to do. I'm going to do this. Then you do what you do in the Arts Council for so many years what gave you the energy and impetus to go right i'm going to write a play or also was it was it going to be a play i don't know i'm asking so many questions because these are the things that genuinely even though me and you are the best of the best of friends i haven't actually sat down with you which is why i think it's so important that we do this on the mm-hmm. podcast to ask you, was it going to be a play? Was it a form of therapy that that, that morphed into a play? I mean, sorry, I've just thrown about 20 questions yeah. at you there. <laughs> I know,
1: I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of where to start. Well, I suppose um, if, if the the catalyst or the stimulus for wanting to write a play was the fact that I discovered who my father was after a lifetime of not knowing who he was. And that was, um, I suppose, the beginning of this particular creative journey. And I discovered who my father was from doing one of these DNA tests, you know, the things online.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, I, I got so far in the journey, but then I actually had to have the conversation, the conversation that hadn't happened in... 45 years i had to have it with my mum and even though you know we're incredibly close and we see each other every day uh this was just too big a conversation to have and in fact i think my mum said she thought it was going to be a deathbed conversation um but i i decided to 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 bring it forward uh, by a few years and uh
0: well hopefully many many years years, many years (laughs) don't worry many years (laughs) <laughs> please, please, I love your mum dearly. <laughs> I know,
1: no. So we we sat down and we had this. Uh, do you know, like a. I said to somebody often, big conversations. It's more scary. The fear is about having them, having that conversation than actually than, actual the, actual con- com- yeah, than yeah. the actual conversation. And we sat down and uh, we discussed and who my father was, and I was... Jenny,
0: like, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Can we just get some context on okay. this? Because, basically, when you were younger... I think we need Okay, some more... I'll pad it out
1: a bit. So, basically, okay. my mum is from a place called Downpatrick in Northern Ireland, and mm-hmm. uh, she went to Derry, um, uh, another... Town um, in the northwest of Ireland, and she went to university there. And she became pregnant when she was twenty-one, and um, she decided that she needed to go to England to have me. So she disappeared. I mean, she she literally disappeared. My grandparents and family had no idea where she went, and I only found this kind of detail out quite recently. In, in, in discussions with her but she,
0: was this be, was this because of the uh, politics of northern ireland at the time it was
1: more to do with the um, the kind of religious and cultural context of sorry
0: of, uh, sorry that was yeah. uh, that was me miswording. Yeah. That. i actually that's no, it exactly was, what I, I, mean, I meant. you know yeah.
1: ireland has a kind of a a very deep and um you know, painful kind of history of of, of how women, uh, particularly unwed women, have been treated um, who've become pregnant. And there are lots of different kind of stories that particularly we are being presented with now as a result of um, kind of just how women were treated by the state and the church in, in Ireland. You know, we're talking about kind of, um, you know, institutions that women were put into and babies were taken off them. And my mum um, came from a Catholic family, and uh, it just you know it was 1973, um, and you, it just wasn't the done thing. You don't get pregnant uh, if you're not married.
0: So it was it was like deep oppression.
1: Oh, it it was. I mean, it was it was massive. I mean, the shame. I mean, there's there's a, a you know. I mean, I. I've talked about the kind of concept of shame and I really do believe it's a kind of a societal construct. I don't think people feel shame it's shame is put upon them. And the shame that was that was around then and that was immediately kind of enveloped her because she was pregnant and not married and not with the person not with mm. the father um yeah. was massive, absolutely massive. So I think she feared that perhaps um she wouldn't be able to have me if she stayed here in in Ireland um but also I think she felt the only way she could have me was by going to England so she got on a boat and went to London and then got on a train to visit Oxford to see what it was like because she had this kind of romantic idea of what Oxford was like
0: and who did she know in Oxford nobody
1: nobody so she, Jesus, yeah.
0: Christ. I mean, it is the bravest move.
1: It really is, and you know, you kind of
0: a lot and a, a selfless move, uh, yeah. Because it wasn't about; it was about this at this point. This was about you,
1: yeah. Oh, it was, it was about
0: your future. Yeah. It was all about you. It was. Oh my god.
1: I mean, she kind of she said since that you know Oxford was this kind of romantic place in her mind, and also you know she kind of felt that it was the you know, the People say it's the kind of uh, home for lost lost causes, and 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 she felt that that was the place she had to go to, that she could almost be invisible there too, because it was this place where so many people went to, you know, of all different backgrounds and you know religions and countries and ethnicities. I think she felt that she could probably go, uh, she could turn up there and be invisible,
0: um, oh, but also be accepted, accepted,
1: and yeah, absolutely, that nobody would say there's your woman, there's your woman from from Ireland who, you know, from Downpatrick, who isn't married and has a bastard. Because that's what right. I was. I was a bastard. I was illegitimate. Those were the terms that I grew up, not necessarily having people throw them at me, but I knew that I those were terms that were connected to me. And, um, and I suppose... You know what she went through I mean you know my mum is a quite i mean you know her she's quite quiet, and you know people think oh you know she's shy and she's quiet, but you know what she's the strongest woman i know
0: she so is and once you get her opened up on a conversation, mm-hmm. my god she's so she's so fiercely intelligent mm-hmm. and passionate, she has great knowledge, and she ha- also has um uh, such accessibility. She like she wants to learn more. Mm, she wants, absolutely. and she's never. She's never. You know, certain people, and this is no um, a derogatory slate to your mum at all. But certainly, uh, men and women of a certain age, of a certain. There is of, of a certain viewpoint, mm-hmm. and it can't be shook. I know what I know, mm-hmm. and this is what I know. And it's like some people go, and your mum's one of these. Oh, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. Actually, oh yeah, no, I, she welcomes the knowledge in. Yeah.
1: Oh, she's always learning. I mean, she's oh, constantly and,
0: at and, she's, and she's and she's such a reader. Oh,
1: absolute reader. She, yeah, she,
0: she's such a bookworm. Yeah,
1: she really is, and you know, I mean, she gave me the best kind of opportunity, I think. You know, we didn't have any money. Um, she kind of worked in various jobs, um, you know, with me as a, as a young baby. And uh, she gave me the, the best start, you know, like by, you know, she was by herself but gave me the best start. But it was hard for her. And I suppose, um, you know, in in, in the play... Uh, I kind of talk about, I suppose, all the characters talk about the, um, the the difficulties that she had, you know, becoming kind of as an Irish woman in the early 70s, coming to England and having to do things like hide her accent, kind of in fear of association and um, hide me. Um, and then also my kind of feelings about what illegitimacy meant and this you know, it's, it's quite a, there's not many kids I don't think of around five years old that would have kind of existential crises, but I think I kind of did from a quite an early age of wondering, you know, how, how did I, how, how did I get into this world when I wasn't meant to be here? You know, so the play kind of talks a lot about, sorry, it doesn't talk, but the themes that are explored in the play are really, I suppose, to do with that kind of, the shame, the construct of shame, um, of I suppose how you know my mum felt that she she couldn't stay in Ireland, um, and really how you know it's now. I mean, for me, one of the reasons I wanted to write it was I, I felt this. It was really important to hear about a time that there are so you know I. This isn't just my story. There are so many children and women who were treated you know, far worse than, than my mother was. But I think it's really important that that kind of legacy of um, Ireland's past in terms of the, the, the state and the church, what happened to women, that now actually the voices come through and that I hope that other people feel that they can talk about their lives. Because, you see, the one thing about being an illegitimate child or being a woman who gives birth to an illegitimate child particularly back then, is that talking is the one thing you can't do. Talking is the one thing you're scared to do. Mm. And here I am, I've written a play about it. You know, it's something I've not been able to talk about with friends, you, with other friends, with family. And in a way, I kind of thought, you know what, if I'm going to put down the truth, I know all of the truth now, I'm going to put it all down. There's no half-truths here because I'm dealing with a, with a, a, a story that I know. And... I'm just really passionate now about wanting to ensure that, or, or not ensure, but trying to just encourage other voices to come through, that people, you know, like me, who are kind of have this, who are part of this legacy of um, of shame in Ireland are now able to stand up and say, do you know what, this isn't my shame. I, I'm, not, I'm not wearing this the shame that you've put on me um, mm. just because I was born out of wedlock, just because my mum gave birth to me you know not being married and and not with uh my father um i suppose it's just kind of like an ownership of that so in a way i don't know if i don't think i've even answered half of your questions but there was uh there probably was a bit of therapy at the beginning of writing it all down i needed to write the journey down i had to put it down because i was scared i was going to forget i was scared i was going to lose the truths the truths that i'd learnt i was kind of scared that i would lose it if I didn't write
0: it down. So did it start more as a journal than a play? Or did you go... Because I remember you... I, I do remember you saying to me... Uh, I think I called you and you texted me. You said, oh, I'm away on a writer's retreat. Yeah. And I didn't even think anything of mm. it. Because I'm that much of a shit friend. <laughs> I didn't go, oh, are you writing a play? I was mean, like, I was, I was just going to writers' retreat. Yeah, it's fine. Um but obviously that's what mm. you were doing. So did it start off in that respect, or did you go, no, I need to write this play. I need to I need these voices heard. Yeah,
1: I think it was a mixture of both. I think it was therapy for me writing it, but actually I knew very early on that this was gonna be expressed in some kind of artistic way. And at that point, the very early
0: Because point- because, yeah, exactly, because as you said at the start of our talk. This this artist in you, whether it's an actor or you're um, facilitating other artists to hear their voice, it's 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 in you yeah. already. It doesn't it doesn't it's not leaving no, you. It was and, it, and now it's just it's just coming out and blossoming in a completely different way.
1: It, yeah, I think it is that. It was the only way that I fa- felt that I could kind of address it. But also, I mean, you know, at the time of beginning to write, I wasn't sure, was this a film? Was this a radio play? Was it a play? Was it an art installation? I didn't, I didn't know what it was. But the one thing I did know, and this is perhaps the kind of the professional side of me, is I knew it was a bloody good story. I just thought this is a really good story. And do you know It's mm. my story, so I can tell it. Um, because there there are a few twists and turns, you know, Um there were two people that could have been my father, both right. polar opposites, complete polar opposites. So um, that was one of the reasons why, in a way, the DNA was so crucial for me to do this DNA. So you know how DNA tests work, because you you do them and, and you kind of hope to get, um, you know, connected with like a fourth cousin or something. or a, And then you kind of look at their family tree and, well, I was connected with a second cousin and I knew immediately this wasn't somebody from my maternal side because I didn't recognise their name. So I knew immediately this was my somebody from my father's side. And a, and a second cousin essentially means somebody that they, both they and I share the same great grandparent. So that's quite a close connection. Yeah. And I contacted them and they shared with me their family tree. And um, that's how I was... Able really to find out who who my father was and uh, essentially tell my mum who my father was, too.
0: Oh my God, so she didn't know. No. So you did all the, the, the detective yeah. work. But it was. Did she know that you were doing this? No, she didn't
1: know any of this, Craig. Of course she didn't. Oh she didn't know any of
0: it. Oh my God.
1: But the other oh thing my is, God. I mean, my mum is really into, um, you know, like. Uh, Line of duty, crime drama. You know, she's really into kind of crime drama. And oh, I, hey, as you we, know, we all are. We've Judy. got to talk we about all Judy. Are. We are. But, <laughs> but one of the, th- I said for some, she thought that my father was the other person, and so she had grown up oh, thinking the one,
0: the one, the one who isn't. <laughs> yes,
1: the one who isn't my father.
0: Oh my god! And so, in
1: her kind of narrative or in her mind, my father was this other person. And um, and so when I told her who my father was, Ow. she...
0: So I just, my, I just banged my hand on the, on the table. Did you hear that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, a crucial point, Craig.
0: I know. Sorry, mate. Go on.
1: So when I told her who my father was, you know, she, I think she was... Well, I know she was incredibly surprised because it wasn't the person that she had thought, and I said to her, for somebody who is absolutely obsessed with, you know, thrillers and crime dramas, you should know, Mum, that it's always the person you don't expect it to
0: be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, that must have... Because she maybe would have built up in her mind and Mm romanticised certain things in her history Mm -hmm. and her past and she's had to completely erase all of that yeah
1: completely and I think you know I mean the 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 play just touches on that very briefly it doesn't you know that's I'm very clear about the play the play is about my story rather than it being about you know my mum's and kind of you know, going into too much detail around you know that side of stuff because obviously it's 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 sensitive and it's it's personal. I'm mm. you know I want to protect my protect my mum's feelings, um, but I suppose the truth that the play the truth in the play really is about um, uh, I suppose yeah me connecting with who, who my father is and the fact that. Um, He's not who she thought he was going to be. Um, And, I mean, absolute polar opposites. I mean, completely, completely different um, types of people. But it's then about my journey, about um, finding my father. And uh, I suppose a conversation I have with my father, uh, given all of the stuff I've talked about in terms of shame, about my mum having to go to... um, Uh, England to have me but also because my mother told my father she told this man that she was pregnant and he said nothing
0: he said nothing.
1: nothing yeah which I think Craig I mean you know you're a dad I find that the most kind of unbelievable thing really because if somebody is told I am you know if you're if somebody you slept with, your partner, your girlfriend, whoever, says, I am pregnant, and you say nothing, I just you know, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, you know, are you sure it's Maine? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, you know, I don't want to know, I, I do want to know. He said nothing.
0: Wow. That is... I've never known that. Mm. I've heard of people ask for paternity tests, mm-hmm. or I'm not interested, or they walk away, mm-hmm. or they do something finite. But to say nothing and just to leave it in the air well, is gone.
1: Well, his silence is essentially what made her go to England. In that moment, in that very moment...
0: Yeah, because she knew. She knew, she knew in that moment yeah. there is there's no nothing. way there's going to be any no. support network nothing. for her or for you no. at that point. Um, God, I mean, I said to you, and full disclosure to the listeners, I spoke to Jilly very early this morning when I was on set in uh, Newcastle, and we were talking about how we we're going to set this up. And um I said to Jilly, I went you know, do you know what? I've known you for so long and you're one of my you know, you're like the sister. You're you are like a sister to me. We are, you know, me and you know that. Mm-hmm. Um But there'll be things that we talk about tonight that I've never heard about. And this happens sometimes when I have friends that I've known for 5, 10, 20 years or friends that I've known for a few months. It just always happens. It always comes up because, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, how often do we get to sit down for an hour or so and we turn the spotlight on that other person? It's all about them it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen enough anymore. No. And, you know, I've been very cautious about talking about the last year, but now I think more, more and more people need to really dig deep and ask that question about how are you, how are you, mm-hmm. how, how are you mm-hmm. to let people speak, yeah. and it's really important.
1: But I suppose all, I mean, there is all of that. But it's also about whether the person wants to speak, you know. And I and I can, I know for a fact that you know you're not the only person that I haven't talked about this to. So I was writing this play mm. and writing, you know, the kind of the detail in it. And there was a lot of people who didn't know it. There was a lot of people who, um, you know, I I've, you know, who, people who have since seen the play have said, you know, Jenny, I, I didn't know that, but I didn't know you felt like that. I didn't know this and, and sometimes it's because you know it's I don't know but I tell maybe I just found it easier to talk about it through writing a play
0: well maybe maybe well not maybe <laughs> yes <Abso-fuck- laughs> absolutely you did you did and that's what I want to talk how was it putting it all down but also more importantly how was it Giving that script, that play to somebody to read for the first time because this is as personal as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And you've said that there are things here that people don't know, the people that love mm-hmm. you and are the closest to you. You're giving that to somebody to read. Mm-hmm. For, for the possibility mm-hmm. of, 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 you know, now we know what it's become.
1: Yeah. Well, when I first started writing the play, or when i The play's called Father the Father. And I have to say, when I was writing it, I found it very emotional. Like, a, a, you know, I was probably just full on snotters half, half the time writing it. When I finished it, and then I, I contacted a, a friend of mine. Um, who I know through a personal and professional capacity Emma Jordan of Director of Prime Cut Productions in Belfast and I said "Look, Emma would you just mind reading this just you know just to you know I don't know what it is I don't know if it's a play if it's a radio play I don't don't know what it is but could you read it and she read it and she came back to me and she said look I think we should you know do a read through this get some you know people in the room and, and we'll read through it and I was like great and so that's what we did and when i first heard when i sat there when they did the read through it was kind of just the weirdest thing ever you know listening to my my really really personal story being read by other people i mean it was it was suddenly like okay it's out it's out it's out now you know it's i can't keep this in it's out there but from that moment i kind of not the the tip te- well yeah the tears kind of stopped as soon as it went into the kind of hands of you know a professional that I deeply admire and respect who's hugely talented you know um, Emma's won awards you know left right and center for her directing work and I knew that the play would be treated and and looked after in a in a really um
0: and respected. and respected.
1: But also, you know, there were bits in it that, you know, the play wasn't 100% perfect. You know, there was work that needed to be done. And the work, Well, of course. It's not it's, it's first wait, play. It's your,
0: it's your first <laughs> play. You're just throwing it out there. Yeah. And was it a bit like, I don't know if it was, was it a bit like someone reading your diary? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh exactly, God. that is exactly. It just came into my mind. I as yeah. like, Oh yes, yeah, so it kind of your is your diary but,
1: and and you know the kind of but a diary that maybe you would have written when you were younger and it was a bit more kind of you know flowery and um you know a bit more descriptive that you had time to write about it you know i had i had to create time to put this down and so yeah there was a kind of a sense of um there yeah, this is just really really personal and these people are now reading it and hearing it and, but I immediately trusted, I immediately trusted Emma with the play and knew that whatever she felt needed to happen to it would be the right thing. And so, you know, I I was lucky enough to take some time off work and, and sit in the rehearsal room, you know, and, you know, we've done the whole, as I know you've been doing the whole way through, the whole COVID tests regularly and yeah. um, all of that malarkey and, um you know complete covid bubble of of this kind of creative team and so i sat there in rehearsals and you know just started to watch it kind of the artistic process and unfold and then and then see people like when the sound designers brought in and like the the set designers brought in and the light designers brought in and and the the costume designers brought in and and you're thinking oh my god you're all your work right now is all about my play that was amazing to think you're all doing my play you're all this is your work for the next five six weeks is working on it, my play was it
0: was it overwhelming Julie, at times uh,
1: yeah like i mean yeah, like you should seen i was kind of coming out of my lunch break and kind of walking down the street going daniel phoning my husband daniel and going daniel and he's going what and i went like and you know daniel daniel's like <laughs> like this he's not into the arts at all
0: but the sweetest, sweetest man <laughs> the, in the, the world. The sweetest
1: man in the world. But I was going, Daniel, like, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know... Um,
0: did, did he put on a Northern Irish accent when Moe, he speaks to Daniel,
1: love, oh, my God, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And he was like, right, okay, and... And I'm like, no, but, Dad, you don't understand. They're doing this, they're doing that. And, um, you know, they've said that it will go on at the Mac, you know, the Mac. And he's like, right, right. Okay, um, so yeah, I was kind of just, I part of me just thought, you know, they're just Emma's maybe being nice and just doing a wee read through for me, and maybe just then, there there's your play. We've done a wee read through, okay? Now piss off, you know? <laughs> yeah. But No, they, you know, they, they took it into full production, and um, you know, it's it's now, uh, I mean, the set's been built, everything's been built for theatre, and it was filmed in the theatre space, so it's all there. Um, you know the, the production now you you can see via the mac online um until saturday the 17th of april um
0: and don't worry we'll we'll plug that okay, the end God, jelly, don't okay. worry <laughs> but,
1: you know and and there's also going to be a life beyond that kind of digital um hybrid uh presentation you know that the, the plan is that it will go back into theaters and, and and hopefully go on tour um so there is a life beyond what we've just created and I have to say the feedback has been. I mean, not not only you know, wow. I mean, Jesus.
0: I mean, it's just <laughs> been incredible.
1: Unbelievable, like, I mean, literally. I, mean,
0: I can't remember reading a four out of five star review in the Guardian for for a debut playwright. <sighs> and I'm not just. And I'm. You know me. I'm as honest as they come. No, There's I know no who you way are. No, no. I would fucking. Oh, my friends wrote a play, and we're going to get her on the podcast. Fuck that. No, I know. No, I'll get someone who deserves... I love it. I love it. I'm so proud uh, when good things happen to good people. And the fact that you've done this, and I got really emotional when I read that did review. You? The did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Because the end line of that review was something like, I can't quote it, it was something like, that they were so intrigued to see what Jilly Campbell does next with her, with you know, with her follow-on uh-huh. play. Uh-huh. I just thought now, Jilly, my friend Jilly Campbell <laughs> has her career in the Arts Council, but you know what? Now she can hold her head up high and be proud to call herself a playwright. And. I read reviews of my mates on the telly all the time and I'm yes, I'm absolutely thrilled for them, but to put yourself out there in this, you know, a diary form and for it to be so fucking personal and could possibly be quite heartbreaking for other people to put yourself on the line and do it. Um it is overwhelming for me as a friend, um, and I'm immensely proud of you.
1: Well, that's very kind of you, and, you know, I mean, I, uh, the one thing I will say, and, and, I, and it is really important to say, is, you know, it's, it's it was absolutely amazing getting a four-star, you know, review from the stage, four-star review in The Guardian, but it's not just down to my um, writing. I have to say I had the... We had the best actor, Abigail McGibbon, who who plays daughter, the the role, which is um, in the play, and the the best creatives involved. And you know, they made my play, which I, you know was good and is good, but they made it better, and and well, that's it's why it's all four of, stars. It, it's everyone, but it, but it's, everyone involved in but it. It's,
0: but it's all about support. Yeah. If people believe in something and they trust it. Yeah. We're all sort of pulling together in the same direction. Mm -hmm. But the core of it is your bravery of writing a play for the first time. It's your debut play. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I think it's amazing that everybody's just rallied around and gone, I'm into this. This is a fucking great play. And I'm going to put my artistic um, vision on the line and I'm going to come into it, and we're going to pull together in this direction, we're going to put it on. But the nucleus of it, the core of it, is you. Mm -hmm. And that's what... that. And and I I love and I appreciate what you're saying, and I wholeheartedly agree, but this podcast is about you as a debut writer, and it's hopefully... You know, because we all hear... And certainly during lockdown, one oh I've learned Spanish, <laughs> oh I've written a play, or I've done this. Great! Now do something with yeah. it.
1: Well, you'll be pleased to know that I, I do have the the the, the germs of, of ideas for uh, another play, and that's there's no way after what I've done, uh, the buzz, the excitement, but also you know, I, I feel I can say this because I'm. You know, the wrong side of 45, I'm nearing 50. And do you know what? One of the things I feel now as an older, kind of middle aged woman is I am going to be proud of myself and I am going to be, I am going to say there are things I'm good at. There are things I'm shit at, but there are things I'm good at too. And I do think I, you know, it was great for The Guardian and the stage to say, do you know what? You're a writer, but I, I feel I can say, maybe I've only been able to say this at the end of this interview I don't know this discussion I am a writer (laughs) I am a playwright and I've enjoyed it so much and I have loved the feeling and I know that there are other stories that I want to tell and so I'm going to do it
0: Jilly I am a man that's really what I wanted to end this were you going I was going to (laughs) ask you go do you feel like a writer and I wanted you to say and you did do it look (laughs) There's only um, this is going out on Friday, so there's tonight and the Saturday mm-hmm. where people can get hold of this and watch. Please, please tell uh, the listeners where they can watch it. Please.
1: Yes, you are right. You, it's going out um, tonight and on Saturday, and you can get your online ticket via the Mac uh, in Belfast. And um, is
0: that just the Mac dot com?
1: Let me just double check. I should have had
0: this. Uh, we, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll put it in the blur. Okay, it's fine. That's good. But if you go, if you Google the Mac Belfast, yeah, I
1: think it's W. I mean, let me just double. Check, let me just quickly do it. I, I feel like I should have had this. It's the Mac Live, the Mac and the play is called Father the Father, and it's
0: who's it? Who's it by? It's
1: by this this woman called Gillie <laughs> you heard her? <laughs>
0: I don't know. Nobody speaks like that. No, I haven't. <laughs> But it's,
1: it's, it's 45 minutes, it's online, and um, there's a, a range of ticket prices, I think, from £5 up. So it's nice and accessible, which is what I wanted to, to see so that people can afford it.
0: Amazing. Jilly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. God, thank you. I'm, it's just been gorgeous, and I, hope, I really hope people have enjoyed this. And, uh, yeah, I love you so much. I love you too.
1: Okay. Bye, Jilly. Bye,
0: bye. And another episode is done. Do you see what I mean? It's... uh, Massive thank you to Jilly. It was about a creative journey and about how... And I spoke to students about this not so long ago because they were worried certainly in these times about how they were going to be able to work and express themselves. And that's the thing, the creative journey may not manifest itself in the way that you would thought It'll, it, it will happen when it happens. Um, and that's why I thought, well, Jilly's now become an official playwright. She can stick her flag in the ground and go, do you know what? I may have trained as an actor. I may have worked in the arts council for like 19 years, but now I'm a playwright and I'm in my late forties. So I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I loved it. And as you can gather, you know, I, I've known Jilly for many, many years and I love her dearly, but... And I think I said it in the episode, there are so many things there that I didn't know anything about. And that is the joy of spending an hour or so with someone and turning the spotlight on someone. So when you're going out with friends and people you haven't seen in ages, um, to pubs and restaurants, or you're going out for a walk in the park, you know, maybe turn the spotlight on them for a bit and see how they're doing and, we might all learn a bit of something. And That's not me preaching. I'm just saying that's what I do. And I've been doing it for years on this podcast and it, uh, it's an absolute gift and I love it. So look, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. Tell your friends that we're here. We have got some more cracking episodes to record very, very soon. And I really hope you can come and join us. So look, Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been The Two Shot Podcast. Take care. I'll see you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.